Good. Hey, this is Bob Nalbandian. And Matt Hartnett. From the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast. You can subscribe and download all episodes of the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast via the CMS Podcast Network at cmspn.com or any of your favorite podcast directories, including Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and more. And while you're at it, be sure to rate and comment about the podcast and spread the word. And if you'd like to donate to the podcast, go to our PayPal account at shockwavesskullsessions at gmail.com. Thanks for all your support of the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast over the years, and stay tuned for more great episodes every week. Hey, everybody, it's Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show and the Aftershocks podcast. And I know you want to see this next episode, but right before we do it, just want to remind you that if you have an Amazon device, whether it's a TV or a fire stick or fire cube or whatever it would be, a fire box if you're old school, uh, make sure you add the CMSPN to it. Just look up CMS Podcast Network on your Amazon device, add the channel, and you will get every episode of all four shows for free right there on your TV. Make us part of your TV viewing every single day and night, all right? Uh, it's the CMS Podcast Network, cmspn.com. And it is now on Amazon. So get it, all right? All right, here's the episode you came to see. All right. All right, here we go. Shockwave Skull Sessions, episode number 116. Of course, we got the Armenian Maven of Metal himself. The creator of the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast, Mr. Bob Nalbanian. Bob, what's happening? How you doing? Man. I'm doing good. I, I, I'll never live that down. You I never will. <laughs> I know. And of course, we got with us our guest today, author and journalist who's been in the hard rock and metal genre man, for decades now. Uh, he's co-authored one of the best, I think, comprehensive metal books out there called Louder Than Hell. And he's also co-authored books from Scott Ian, Al Jurgensen from Ministry, Roger Moret from Agnostic Front. Talking about Mr. John Wiederhorn. John, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Doing good. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Yeah, well, let's uh we'll get into it, John, right away. I mean, you're here to talk about your new podcast, uh, Backstage, The Devil and Metal. Mm -hmm. Uh, you got an episode, looks like every Friday it comes out, 12 in total, I believe, correct? Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, up to episode three, four, uh, episode four debuts this Friday. Yeah. Crazy. And yeah, it's great, man. I mean, I've listened to the episode so far. I'm really enjoying it um, a lot. I think it's a, a great, you know, idea you came up with this podcast. But I guess um, just to start off, I guess just tell us about, you know, uh, what made you, uh, you know, do backstage and how the idea for this came to fruition uh, at this time. Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, I did Louder Than Hell about 10 years ago, and uh, I had a great, great experience doing that book, which it was uh, really an oral history of metal from the 60s to the early 2000s, told through uh, the voices of all the different musicians from the different genres. So it's an oral history, very little opinion in there from, from me. And one of the coolest parts I thought about it was uh, the great stories that I got from the different musicians, not just, mm -hmm. oh, you know, we formed in a, uh, a garage that was uh, downtown from from where I used to work, and you know, blah blah blah. Because all bands kind of form more or less in the same way, you know, unless mm -hmm. there's an exceptional story. But what I thought was really cool was the stories of uh, what happened once they made a name for themselves, or as they were trying to make a name for themselves, or you know, 
how they were surviving, where they were sleeping, what they were driving in, and if there were accidents in the you know on the way, and just what the metal lifestyle is like for a touring, traveling, uh, you know, mus- not magician, musician. <laughs> hard word there. Um, so, you know, years later, I kind of wanted to revisit some of that territory, but I'd already told this history thing. So um, I thought it'd be cool to do a book that just examined individual aspects of metal, you know, especially the metal culture and lifestyle, mm-hmm. like uh, looking at the parties backstage or looking at the, the you know, frenzied uh, road trips or the, uh, you know, Spinal Tap-like experiences, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I uh, chronicled all that in a, uh, a book called Raising Hell, Backstage Tales from the Lives of Metal Legends. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did that for uh, a company called Diversion Books. And lo and behold, uh, you know, that came out in 2020, early 2020, before everything collapsed in the world. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it, uh, while things were in this, this uh, period of, of uh, stasis and, and everyone was treading water, Diversion decided to delve into podcasts. So they, they t- talked to a lot of their, their writers and figured which, which writers might work well uh, having their book converted into a podcast form or elements of their books. And uh, they asked if I was into it. And I said, yeah, totally. Um, but we didn't want to just retell these same stories from, from the book. Uh, we wanted to, to come up with a kind of an approach to metal and, and a general statement about, uh, about metal. And, you know, we started with, uh, well, we had a couple episode ideas and then the idea of the occult in metal was just sort of thrown around. And it's interesting to see how uh, the occult entered the genre and from Black Sabbath all the way through to uh, Gorgoroth and Behemoth or whoever, you know, who's taken the occult seriously, who's used it as a gimmick. Uh, if there have been people who've been, you know, motivated by these bands to do awful things. And um, then playing around with it a bit, we came up with the name The Devil in Metal. Now, I thought that would just be for like those first couple episodes, but they thought it'd be a good kind of title with an overarching theme to the whole to the whole series. So um, in a kind of tongue in cheek way, we, we kind of said, yeah, this is the devil's music, man. You know, everyone says metal is the devil music and, you know, don't listen to it or you're going to go to hell. So <laughs> we thought, well, w- what's all, you know, embracing about metal that accompanies these conservative ideas of uh, of evil and and uh you know malfeasance or whatever mm-hmm. and uh you know we came up with these a lot of these topics that are also addressed in raising hell but uh, the idea of drinking you know in excess mm-hmm. and uh the crazy stories both good and bad that accompany that and the people who got in trouble you know going that route um came up with uh, a chapter on on uh the treatment of women in metal not musicians uh, exclusively but you know i mean every dude who plays in a band's fantasy is to hook up with chicks. Sure. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, ever since the days of, you know, I guess Zeppelin, it, it, you know, that, that was uh, an, an aim for all these guys. Yeah. Elvis, yeah, that's true, yeah. the Beatles. Um, yeah. So it's funny because right now it's, you know, it's kind of like you don't want to even say that because of the Me Too movement, which I'm totally in favor of. And I think it's mm-hmm. terrible to, for people to take advantage of, uh, you know, well, uh, unconsenting people Mm -hmm. but when it's a consensual relationship i don't see anything wrong with it and everything goes and and a lot of a lot of dudes i talked to for the episode that airs on uh, on friday 
seem to feel the same way and have some really great and wild stories from the members of Van Halen in the early days of, uh, you know, picking up chicks on the road and, and uh, Diamond Dave uh, looking out in the audience and pointing to the girls that he wanted to come backstage afterwards to uh, uh, Dave Windor from Monster Magnet, who's just mm -hmm. this self-effacing hell machine of, uh, of, of great stories. And, uh, you know, he, he told, told some really funny, uh, funny anecdotes and, and, you know, lived rock and roll the fullest. Like he's all about, you know, the sex and the, was about the drugs and the drinking until uh, it got too out of hand. And like so many people, he had to cut that out of the diet. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's all these, these factors that people think metal encompasses. So we really want to dive into them without uh, throwing anyone under the bus or, or, um, you know, making light of serious issues. I have a whole episode about heroin in metal, which was hard to it's hard to address because, you know, a lot of really great musicians have died from it and mm -hmm. it's nothing to trifle with. And, you know, uh, like Lemmy said, you know, Lemmy from Motorhead obviously said, uh, the one drug he's glad he never ever messed with is heroin. Mm -hmm. And if he did, he'd be an idiot. And Ozzy said he'd be dead if he ever did heroin. Mm -hmm. So, but for those who survive it, they, you know, in addition to being able to tell all these horrible stories of being strung out and vomiting, you know, in the, in the backstage club in some divey place or uh, shooting up in a dirty bathroom, they also have a lot of them, these wild, wild stories of you know, what they did when they were in desperate need of heroin or what happened mm -hmm. while they were trying to score or you know, what a particular trip was like while they were on stage, if it was a uh, not a trip, you know, if they were strung out and shooting up. Um, so people like Al Jorgensen is one of the funniest guys who's ever lived. Super smart dude. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction all had really, really interesting takes on uh, on their experiences. And uh, having survived those years, those decades, you know, they were able to look back at it and say, don't try this at home. But I've got some stories to tell. Sure. Yeah. Now, now the the interviews you've done. I mean, were these interviews that you you had had done previously, or did you do them for specifically for uh, this podcast? A lot of them were done specifically for the podcast. Okay, I came up with, with the specific ideas. I, I uh, nailed down who I wanted to talk to, mm -hmm. and then I went back into my archives and you know said, well, I've gotten stories about this stuff before because they're kind of tropes of metal, and who has some really wild you know, or interesting stories. And for instance, Eddie Van Halen, may he rest in peace, uh, told me some really uh, great and, and, and uh, I don't wanna say intimate because they're, you know, they're not, but he was into the groupie scene in the beginning, like all the other dudes in the band. And then he said, what the hell am I doing? This is not fulfilling. And mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, aside from like saying, hey, I, I hooked up with the, the three chicks last night. Like that didn't, fulfill his his artistic or or intellectual goals and uh that's when he started you know taking different floors in uh hotel suites while his bandmates continued to uh you know uh scope the field i guess um yeah. he said shortly after that he found valerie so it was, it was it's, you know kind of cool to hear stories like that and then mm -hmm. to talk to someone like uh evan seinfeld from biohazard who's uh you know, just a huge walking penis, literally. <laughs> I'm probably proud to be. Sure. Uh, yeah. Done porn movies and directed mm -hmm. them, scoring, you know, chicks in every way possible in Biohazard. So he was totally unapologetic about uh, 
his crazy, crazy ass exploits through the years. So it was, uh, you know, it's a cool combination of uh, all of these, you know, wild experiences that go into metal. And I think anybody who's a metal fan or who has lived the metal lifestyle can relate to to a lot of it or or at least enjoy it. Sure. It's definitely a, a, a unique angle for a metal podcast because everyone thinks now, I mean, everyone, their mother's doing a podcast and there's so right. many metal podcasts out there. But, you know, after, you know, hearing what this is about, you know, the sex, the drugs, the occult, and, you know, it was a lot of it based in the 80s. The, the, you know, the genre I grew, you know, I even back in the 70s, I, I kind of you know grew up in that that era when I was a young kid, but my whole, you know, later teenage and in my twenties, you know, I lived that life. I was in Hollywood. I was a part of that whole right. metal scene. And so for me, uh, I love the, the honesty approach of it. And as you said, you know, yeah, nowadays it's, it's frowned upon and this and that, but this is how it was back then. And the artists are being honest about it. And let's face it, you know, everyone says about, Oh, it's so misogynist and uh, 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 all this kind of stuff. But, the women were into it. You know, I've talked to a lot of the women and the groupies that, you know, from back then, you know, I talked to them now, uh, you know, that, I, that I've known. And they said, you know, I don't regret anything. Those were the best times of my life. So and some of them were really smart girls, you know, absolutely. I mean, they were, they so were, they were stupid dudes and they were dumb chicks, but there were also some really smart people just living yeah. out there with their fantasies and having a good time. Sure, sure. So yeah. I, I like the fact that you get into that. And, and, you know, the, the other thing that's so funny, because, you know, I, I'm thinking about kids nowadays, you know, millennials or, or even, you know, pre that before, you know, that grew up in, you know, whatever, th through the 90s and stuff. They don't realize the impact of the, you know, bands like Venom and these satanic bands. I remember when that In League of Satan single just came out. You know, I read about them in the first issue of Kerrang! And I got it as, you know, what, a, you know, a 14, 15 year old kid. If that and and it just scared the bejesus out of me. I was like, "Whoa, this is like I shouldn't be listening." I had, I had to listen to my headphones because I you know my mom ever heard me hearing that she would have put me in an insane asylum. I mean, that, that's how the occult. But people nowadays, you know, you hear Cannibal Corpse and all. I mean, now it's silly. You know, you listen right. to Venom or even early Slayer. You know, that was considered silly. But you you know you go back to the PMRC and all the mm -hmm. crazy shit that was going on during then, particularly about the occult. You know, of course, the whole rock and roll lifestyle of sex and this, that, but the occult was such a big thing. And it was like, you know, these bands are, if you listen to this, you're going to hell, you know, you're yeah, Satanist totally. and all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So, you know, well, there was this, to... that era where there was the satanic panic in the 80s. Sure. And, yeah, you know, it came because he's probably, we were from pretty much the same generation. Our parents didn't know what metal was, they barely knew what rock and roll was. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you grew up in the 50s or the 40s, in the 60s, the early 60s, you had these certain ideas of how how people behaved and how money was made and how society interacted, and it wasn't all about rebellion and it wasn't all about uh, you know uh, free love and and these ideas scared the shit out of parents, you know. So they had to blame this these loose morals and this this uh, uh, aberrant behavior on something. So the church said, well, it's got to be Satan. It's got to be the devil that's gotten into this music and is controlling these kids and it all happened like with this culture at the same time where you had you know anton zander levey was running the church of satan and getting pretty popular people like sammy davis jr were out of curiosity were joining and uh a lot of intellectual people were having uh what do, you, what do they call those parties where you put your key in a, a bowl ice something some parties 
Oh, and then you yeah. just swapping thing where you know you and big cocaine mm -hmm. parties and so there was this decadent lifestyle that was going around and people had an interest in the occult because it was just like another thing out there like rosemary's baby was huge and the exorcist and then mm -hmm. you know the explosion of that caused every other horror movie to to tackle that speaking of which so i look like some zombie ghost figure because i can dim a light if i look too fucking pale in this thing no man you look fine yeah yeah all right all right for me it looks like shit okay not that i care but we can adjust the color out yeah so you know it was it was uh this this introduction this whole lifestyle and this whole culture that black sabbath kind of brought to the to the world and you know you had you had groups like black sabbath and coven and pentagram on a lower level um then deep purple were pretty big and uh you know Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, and and there was this mysticism that came along with with Zeppelin too, and his interest in the unknown. And uh, then once you had metal, people started saying, "Well, what's metal is great because it's surprising and it's, it's shocking and it ups the ante." But if you're going to keep doing that, you got to keep making it more extreme. And if you want to do mm -hmm. stuff that's that's about the occult, you know, Slayer can't just say, "Oh, there was a hooded figure at the." at the foot of my bed and he pointed at me and said you had better watch out or evil will become of you so they write hello waits and have these crazy ass demons on the cover pulling these dudes intestines out mm -hmm. and uh you know that, that kind of crap blew me away in high school i was like oh sure. this is so sick this is great um so you know for me it's just been this like journey to to just discover the more outrageous and extreme style of entertainment within within this genre and then i guess you stop when you've taken it as far as as you can enjoy it because uh i mean i love some death metal i love black metal um just because when i grew up thrash is always really the music that, that's 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 closest mm -hmm. to my heart but i'll never outlive priest and maiden sabbath and sure. the scorpions and all that stuff too so you know it's um it's just a culture that just goes on and on and it's it's really cool because if you're if you're in the metal you know you're in the metal i mean i can tell by enthusiasm that that you dudes have for it and you talk to a metal person they're like metal for life and yep. you know mm -hmm. if yep. they're in their 20s or in their, their late 50s they've still got these great stories to share and and amazing memories of having been part of that scene sure and you know and i think you know in your podcast you do a great job i think of delving you know, into each individual, like for instance, you started off with, with Black Sabbath, obviously, which reduced all the whole occult thing into metal. Um, then of course you got more into, you know, talking about Venom when Venom wanted to take it a notch up. And then of course you get into like you you're talking about death metal and black metal, where it became like that whole one ups upsmanship, you know, who was gonna be more evil, you know. Right. Um and the interesting thing is most of them, and, and as you, you point out, or, or some of the interviews uh, dictate in there. I mean, it was really, or at least initially, it was all about just for the shock value, just to get that shock, you know, just to get attention, and just to just continue to shock. But like you said, you've got to then keep, you know, increasing, you know, I guess the standards of what shock is. Um, and it's funny because, I'm not funny, but it, it, it's sad, I should say, that it eventually came to effect, you know, the point where, at least in black metal, you had, you know, uh, Varg, you know, committing murders, and, you know, you, you had the Ricky Castles of the world, you know the say you love satan thing going on so it, it did then started to you know taking of course a oh oh this is a, a serious thing i guess kids are listening and 
are actually going out and doing certain acts that maybe I'm sure, like you said, these bands weren't really trying to, you know, promote that. They were just promoting the whole shock and everything. Yeah, the, the Norwegian scene is a really, you know, odd and fascinating uh, time for metal. Um, it's a lot of tragedy and a lot of horrible shit went down. But damn, there are also some great the albums stories. that came out of that whole and, scene. And, and albums, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. the, 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 well, it was the second uh, Mayhem album, um, Mysterious Dome Satanus. It's, mm -hmm. it's just brutal. It's fast. It's devastating. The guitars are razor sharp. And of course, you have Varg Vikernes playing bass on the album. And he and Euronymous at that point were, you know, sort of having this, this uh, well, sort of, it was a ridiculous, horrible feud that ended with uh, Varg fearing for his life that Euronymous was going to kill him, which people close to Euronymous said it was not the case at all. And then Varg ended up murdering Euronymous. Mm -hmm. And there were other, but Varg is also the one who pioneered the whole idea of burning churches. You know, he was mm -hmm. proud of that. And yep. in a way, it was just from being young and stupid, stupid you know, yeah. being like a, a kid and wanting to be so fucking metal that he'd take it like to the extremes of things no one else had done. But then he bragged about it. He's mm -hmm. like, hey, dude, I just burned this church and took photos of the church burning and used it on a record um, and pretty much did a, an interview with a, a local newspaper trying to, you know, disguise his identity. But people in the scene knew who it was, and it wasn't long before the police figured it out. Mm -hmm. So, but there's a lot more to black metal than than just that kind of uh, inner circle, you know. Even though Dark Throne were involved in the inner circle, um, I don't know if they were burning churches. I don't think so. But they mm -hmm. created some really intense, great music. Right. And uh, Emperor, although some of the early members uh, went to jail for for you know misdeeds. Um, <laughs> You know, Isan yeah. and his bandmates have created some just just insane, incredible music. So yeah. there's yeah. been a lot of really good stuff. I think it's come out of that scene, and so much of it has been sensationalized by the brutality. Mm -hmm. But you can't write off the brutality because that was so part and parcel of what made it that next level shit. I mean, yeah. just totally next level. Like, I mean, yeah. God, yeah. I was listening to yeah. Venom and Slayer. Yeah. I thought Slayer were for real. And was mm -hmm. disappointed, kind of, to find out that it was all, you know, all for fun. <laughs> Back then, so you can't yeah. get any more extreme than this, you know. And yeah, this is yeah, as that's... extreme as it's ever going to get. And that, I had that same you know. experience where I talk about it in the in the second episode. I'm sitting there in the record store, looking at black metal, going and listening to it because the record guy in the record store let me play it. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god! They drink the vomit of the priest. This is the most yeah. insane <laughs> shit I've ever heard, and it, well, it, it's it, not super tight, and it's it, not, it, it you know, it's like, silly, honestly. And and not to knock the mus musicianship, some of the those Scandinavian musicians are are some of the yeah. top at their game. But you know, and and Jonas Auckland, who directed Lords of Chaos, uh, mm. a friend of mine, he did a fantastic job, and it shows that he was in Bathory, right? He was in, he was the original yeah. drummer. Bathory. Yeah, he was. That's so cool. I love that. The the first compilation uh, 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 track he he did, and then he left and got into into directing. But uh, got a real career. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. I love Jonas because yeah, such a he, talented he, dude. He, he's amazing. But it it just really does show how you know stupid they were just young stupid kids, and yeah. that's what it was. And back then, you know, you, you talk about the mystique, and that's what I love from back in the day: early Black Sabbath, Zeppelin, Alice Cooper. 
you didn't know as a kid, you know, you didn't, you know, you heard about Black Sabbath, you heard all the stuff. Jimmy Page bought Aleister Crowley's house. Is he a right. real saint? Mm. This is he, but right. you never you watched, you know, the the you know, song remains the same. You saw the big wizard, and you're like, wow, this is but it was just fascinating. But you never they never came out, you never had people, you, they weren't interviewed, it wasn't you know, all over the press. So it kind of left to your imagination. And I remember seeing Alice Cooper, and I must have been in third grade when he was on the American Music Awards, and he, you know, and Diana Ross, I don't know if you remember this, announced uh, him, and he, like, kind of freaked out in front of him. I don't want to announce it, and he goes crazy. And I watch it now on YouTube, and it's laughable, but back then, you know, I remember at school next day, Alice Cooper, he's really insane. He's a freak, you know, but that was what was kind of cool. Of course, now everything uh, is exploited, and, and my point is now it's kind of got to be where – they know it's it's a public it's it's good publicity. You know, go back to the PMRC when all that stuff happened. I remember Stephen Craig Slayer's then manager, who I knew, you know, him and Carrie very well, and they, you know, called me up, man, dude, we're gonna be on the news. We're gonna be on the news. This is the greatest thing for Slayer. <laughs> the fact that you know uh, Tipper Gore's holding up a Slayer record, and you know Betsy Bitch said the same thing. That gave yeah. them there. Here they are, this underground metal band that nobody really knew of back then. That brought them into the mainstream light. And I think same with these uh, black metal bands. They knew that, and they even talk about it, like like in the movie, and if you read the books, you know, we got to, you know, that that kind of music would never get into the mainstream press or into the right. newspapers, but by burning churches, being extreme, and it makes you think, even back in the 80s, how extreme, after the whole satanic thing, you got into the sex and the drugs, you got the mentors, you know, that said, we're going to push it even more. <laughs> wear black hoods and talk about raping women and pillaging and pissing on chicks and being as vulgar as possible. But they were, you know, yeah, but they were just vulgar for of course, it humorous was a joke. stupidity. It was a, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then you get it like Gigi Allen who goes extreme. Right. It's on the yeah. audience and does mm -hmm. all this punk. Do you ever see him? Killing himself. Huh? I wouldn't go. I've got invited to shows back. You know, I had some punk. Oh, Gigi Allen, you got to go see him. Fuck that. You know, you want to get shit going on? <laughs> You go to the show. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to stand uh, in the back row at his Halloween show in DC, yeah, which was, was supposedly never, uh, when he was going to kill himself. Yeah, punk scene. But you know, you watch that documentary. But it's like you know, that's you know, it, you know, it was all for taking it to the next level. And mm -hmm. and you know, that's what I liked about the old days. You, you had that mystique where it was you never really kind of knew, and it wasn't this publicity let's do it for the you know publicity sake of it and and not to say a lot of these bands weren't i mean obviously slayer are incredible musicians incredible but they knew in the beginning this will get them a lot of publicity you know this is good publicity the bad we want the parents to hate us we want you know this is good for us to have this kind of stuff but uh, yeah but, but i mean i totally agree with you but at the same time i think there was a purity back then where these dudes were like fuck the mainstream stuff we're going to put this out on an indie record or we'll do it ourselves and we're going to sing about horror movies which or serial killers which is what we love and we're going to play this faster than motorhead because you know that's a, that's what we that can do and we have yeah, the yeah. chops and uh like i don't think there was this it would have sucked if there was this premeditated plan you know I mean, I it was a fringe benefit. Once it came out, they, what, the cool thing is they could have looked at it like, oh, this, uh, this is a bad publicity. But they said, fuck yeah. this. We're going to use this to our advantage, you know? So it was kind of like, you know, when all that shit came out in the press, they said, you know, 
bring it on, man. We're, you know, we're not, they didn't, they didn't go Christian right after it. They didn't apologize. You know, in this day and age, you would have to apologize after. Yeah, no, they were totally Um, punk rock about it. We didn't mean that. We didn't mean to harm our words. I'm sorry if our words hurt you guys. (laughs) We were just, you know, it wasn't all for real. We didn't, you know, and then you had the more serious stuff, the suicides with, you know, Judas Priest, uh, uh, you know, and and the uh, uh, Black Sabbath suicide solution and Judas Priest better by you yeah. better than me. You know, I mean, there were there was some serious stuff and and good thing these bands stood up for it. Priest had a whole court battle with it, and you know they were right. It's like, hey, these oh, are they were lyrics. totally right, but you know they were also devastated. That was an old yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. a cover song, exactly. but they were they were really uh, they were really crushed. You know, no, it because was, it was these kids, crushing. yeah, these kids loved the band. Absolutely. The two kids who were manipulated. Yeah. you know, by their their horrible parents and their terrible lifestyle and their drug addictions in these yeah. really dysfunctional environment they were in that the best thing they could think to do is to blow their heads off. That's mm-hmm. so tragic on its own. But then the one who survives listens to his mom, whose priest is telling her, this was the devil. And, you know, that's that this was this band. They led this band into manipulating your kids and it was through these backwards messages because they couldn't get them for forwards messages that you know it's protected under mm-hmm. the first amendment sure. and uh yeah. yeah there's a great movie called uh dreamer deceiver or dream deceivers it's very oh, depressing. oh it's yeah, such a great documentary about yeah. that whole that whole escapade and uh actually the last two episodes of uh, uh of backstage they're going to be uh a story about priest but mostly through the eyes of rob halford from the beginning of his life all the way up to the present day and uh you know he, he put out his book confess last year mm-hmm. in which he, he was very open about his uh yeah. his lifestyle and and all the tragedy really that he uh lived through and uh the the, the emotional uh, uh turmoil that he endured when he was gay and could not admit it you know mm-hmm. he couldn't come out in the 80s in a metal band because it was a really uh you know homophobic era you sure. had, uh, who was it, uh, Sebastian Bach, who was wearing the, the T-shirt that said AIDS kills fags dead, yeah. which is kind of ironic because Sebastian Bach is so not homophobic now. And maybe he was at the time, or maybe he was just joking around. Bad joke to wear on stage. But uh, exactly. <laughs> MTV took him to town that. for it and uh, yeah. you know, ripped sure. him up. But then he made it up on Broadway. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it's, yeah. it's just crazy. And, 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 and the story of Priest is a fantastic story. And, and uh, that Rob's book is great. And once he did the book, I haven't seen a ton of press that he did uh, after it because it was right during COVID. And I was, you know, too busy thinking that we were in the middle of the apocalypse. But uh, <laughs> when, I, when I read the book and interviewed him for it, he was so open and honest. And I mean, I have a history of having interviewed him for 15 years so maybe he opened up especially to me but you know maybe that was just everything he was talking about but there's some heavy heavy stuff in that interview about you know one his his boyfriend at one point uh killed himself right in front of rob with with a uh, with a gun and rob saw the gun but didn't think anything of it he's like i was being dramatic you know this is he couldn't possibly do anything and he found out later it wasn't in front of him but as soon as they they uh you know uh Went their separate ways. He found out this guy went into his house and and uh, Some crazy stories off. back in the eighties no, and nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots, yeah. Of, lots of crazy. stuff. And, you know, yeah. and uh, you reveal a lot of this stuff. Uh, that, that just you know, it's just stuff that happened. It's it's you know part of history. Right. It's something that you know, it's it's good that you're telling it through this this podcast medium. 
uh, like I said, it's definitely a different angle than, you know, your typical, you know, interviews. You use a lot of interviews that uh, uh, from the artists themselves, from either archive interviews or current interviews, which adds to it, which uh, I, right. I a great thing. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because I mean, I love podcasts and I love the podcast thing where, you know, someone sits down with a musician or writer, or, you know, a painter or whatever and talks and does the one-on-one -on -one interview thing and it, they get, you know, deep in the weeds a lot of times. But I didn't really think I had anything new to add to that format. And I love true crime podcasts. And what I really like about them is this narrative structure where they're telling a story of, you know, mm. what happened and what horrible things someone did, if it's like a serial killer story or, you know, what their childhood was like and how they became, you know, emotionally or, or uh, um, behaviorally stunted and dysfunctional. Mm. And they go through this arc. So there's a, there's a story there. I really kind of wanted to bring that style to a metal podcast. Mm -hmm. So with each episode, I try to tell a story and also involve, I hate talking about myself, but my, my producers are like, you've got to bring yourself into it because you've been this metal fan for, for, you know, fucking 40 years. And, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have crazy stories too. I'm like, no, I've never been like shooting up and under a bridge. They're like, yeah, but you're with people who are doing that. And, you know, you, probably have some stupid crazy stories too and yeah i mean so i got to talk about you know reading the satanic bible in my high school library just to freak people out and when mm -hmm. i told gary Holt that, in your library what's that no no i brought it in i oh, was just, okay. I was just okay. being an asshole <laughs> a friend of mine who has a band with at the time were like let's just go in front of all these preppy kids because you know it was yeah, the yeah. 80s and, and sure. there was just like yeah. everyone had these izod and polo shirts and we just hated it sure. and jocks <laughs> yeah. and cheerleaders everywhere so we thought we'd just like take out the book and like yeah, in Normandy, you said time the song, go man out of the and I remember ACDC was the first band that was real. I mean Sabbath too, but ACDC were very satanic back in the day. But, like, I mean, you know, they they played Richard with Ramirez probes. thing. Yeah. Know, well, right? they played with ideas of hell, but they there was nothing really satanic. Of course not. About the, them. the way the press made yeah. it. I'm because I night. remember wearing an ACDC shirt back in the day and then after Back in Black, once it became big, then you said all the preppies and everything, you know, everyone's getting into ACDC. Yeah. Oh my God, ACDC spreading the word of the double well, to the, you know. Well, it's kind yeah. Well, in the yeah. runway models, you know, in the 90s, we're running around with motorhead shirt, uh, t shirts on and stuff. I'm like skinny, like heroin cheek girls. I'm oh. like, oh man, really? I once asked Lemmy about that. He's like, eh, this is fucking great. I just get to sell more shirts that way. You know? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, you got the merchandise money. It is interesting now, though, because, you know, you really do see satanic imagery, I mean, everywhere. I mean, society really has become desensitized to it over the last couple of decades. I mean, look at even, you know, pop music, you had that whole thing that happened with like little Nas X and Nike with the shoe. Um, you had the Kardashians are wearing death angel and Slayer t-shirts now. I mean, yeah. it, there's very little. Yeah. Yeah. Just, absolutely. It's, you know, there, there's like not really that shock, obviously anymore when it comes to satanic imagery. In fact, it's probably the opposite where, now Christianity has become sort of the new Satanism <laughs> where it's like, you know, it's like roles, roles have kind of been reversed in, in sort of in a way. You know? Well, kind of I mean, geez, look at what these people are accusing uh, regular God-fearing Americans. You know, they don't mm. need to be God-fearing, but like these people like QAnon, I mean, that's lunacy in my book. I hope I don't lose listeners that way. But uh, <laughs> when you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about, you know, Jews causing space lasers to light the the, the 
uh, like fire to the uh, uh, trees in California. Like that's mm -hmm. just that's some like science fiction crap. It's <laughs> definitely a weird. Yeah, it's you know. I, it's just, I think the whole, you know, environment, like I said, we're like, like I'll, I'll give like example, like even a guy like, um, you know, uh, Frankie Palmieri, a singer of the band in Muir, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, yeah, he's made a song, I think about someone shooting up a school or, or something like that, you know, what's because there's all the school shootings going on. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, he got hammered to, to death by these local newspapers and like Houston. And I mean, just coming out, just coming to, to go off of it. They're not even there to interview him. It's really just to kind of lecture him. And you know, I'm looking at his lyrics, and I'm like, you know what? I've seen worse lyrics in death metal songs and black metal songs. You know, well, what I mean? didn't he John most... write a song about a, the yeah. uh, a shooting in Ohio uh, 50 years ago? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's that could be one of his. Or dead in Ohio, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We never got that, but yeah. But uh, but remember, right. Slayer's most famous and arguably best song, "Angel of Death," got. They were crucified yeah, when it came oh, yeah. out. Like they were totally torn apart for writing a song about Joseph Mengele, and it's mm. a brutal, brutal song about you know a horrific subject. But mm. they didn't embrace, and and that's where I draw the line. Like they mm. told this horror story, uh, a historical horror story, uh, through the lens of stuff that really happened in, in a, a, a very realistic way. Mm. And a lot, a lot of the Jewish community lost their minds because. It seemed, you know, when you're screaming, Angel of Death, and it's yeah. about Joseph mm. Mengele, it could be misinterpreted as being something where, you know, these guys are singing his praises. But, you know, then you do get, you know, NSBM or these these artists that that hate a particular group, not like just a general hate of Christianity or organized religion or, or whatever. But, mm. I mean, I, people can like what they want musically, and thank God for the First Amendment. But where I draw the line as to what I'll listen to is, you know, where you have these hateful, hateful individuals like Varg Vikernes and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. who's a total neo-Nazi shithead. Like, sure. don't even mm -hmm. want to talk about him because he's like such a, a waste of, of space. Mm -hmm. um, but then that's that's where they're wasting, you know, to me, that's that's where it's just not art anymore. It's not music. It's just hate. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, there, there is a line to draw there where if you cross a certain, you know, line, it's like, yeah, you, you're not, it's not so much, like you said, it's not so much art anymore. It's become something, you know, deeper or bigger or worse than, you know, beyond art, you know, where it becomes more of a an actionable type of thing. But, you know, just just getting real quick, John, back to the podcast, you know, I mean, because you're, you're a guy, I mean, you've been a journalist now for years. I mean, do you really do you see uh, you know the podcast world is that becoming sort of the new way for journalism because to me what i see with a lot of you know like with metal fans whether they're you know um younger uh, they're younger generation of metal fans or even you know people our age you know um the old school metal fans i mean do you, they no one really likes to read anymore you know i've noticed i mean i do i still love reading but everyone wants it sort of told to them and just like i mean you see such a rise with the auditory books too everyone likes to just mm -hmm. kind of be in their car and put that on and let it be dictated to them and, and, and have the authors talk to them is these do you i mean as a guy who's been doing this now i mean do you see that this is probably the the at least for now the modern way of journalism is something you're going to probably do more of to get do more of these sort of series like you're doing with backstage well i really i really enjoy doing it um mm. and you know the, the reception so far has been really much better than I, I could have hoped for. I'm really excited that mm -hmm. there has been this 
this uh, reaction to it. It's funny, you do an article for a magazine, and, and I wrote for magazines for decades, and, and I sure. you know, loved interviewing some of these bands, and, and when I was 14, if I could have imagined, like, you know, going to California and spending two days with Slayer, who, yeah. you know, I would have been shitting myself with, like, <laughs> happiness. Yeah. I mean, it didn't make me rich, but, uh, you know, sure. it, was pretty, it was a pretty awesome thing to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think to a large extent, musicians and writers are now in that kind of same boat where, you know, it used to be something that if you work really, really hard at it and you were good and you got the right breaks, mm -hmm. then you could make a living and you could uh, have a following. And if you're a band, you could have all the chicks, not so much the writers. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's. Uh, a changed world the whole digital environment has has totally changed the music scene obviously yeah. not saying anything anyone doesn't know but bands don't make money from selling records anymore and they used to make mm. most of their money selling records and then they tour and lose money and now it's the opposite mm. where they've had to find ways to tour in an economically viable way and some of that's been a, it's funny because some some of that has happened because of technology like they've been able to do things with technology that's a lot cheaper now than the type of type of special effects they mm -hmm. might have tried pulling off, you know, when Alice Cooper was shooting himself out of a cannon or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, Point, yeah. But but uh, it takes the art of making an album, and and you know, uh, kind of marginalizes it in a way because the great bands are still going to make records and they're devoted to it. And to me, that's you know what I was always in it for as much as the live show. But mm -hmm. they don't get the reward for it. And you can understand yeah. why someone might say, well, fuck it, man. I'm not going to get paid anything for being in the studio for three months and, you know, killing myself to make a record that was better than the last one. So why not just tour and play summer festivals or or whatever? Mm -hmm. So it's a weird scene that writers are yeah. kind of caught in the middle of as well, because there are no magazines anymore. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. there's a couple metal magazines, but not like there used to be. You know, mm -hmm. they were like 10 or 15 places you could write about metal bands. Now there's maybe two or three and mm -hmm. other websites and there's some great websites. I mean, I love, you know, I don't want to name some and not name others, sure. but um, some have been really cool to me and, and, you know, coverage and some have hated my shit, which is totally <laughs> fine. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, it's, it's that other outlet where writers have like scrambled to. And um, unfortunately there's not the kind of money there that there used to be in magazines when there was, you know, a lot of money floating around and people were selling, huge advertisement oh yeah photographers got got totally like, you know, they used to oh god these guys used to make it. the good ones the really good ones can make a lot of money on these photos all those guys sure. bands and yeah yeah as well as yeah. i did they made yeah. a killing in the uh, yeah. 80s and had a great time yeah. um yeah. so you know you got to roll with the changes and figure out something to do if you're you know and i've i've, I've been lucky and i've been able to get into the uh the book writing scene and have some success with that and now hopefully the podcasting thing will keep keep going because it is a it is a great new forum and you know everyone's in their cars so they're listening mm -hmm. to podcasts driving to work and like i said i love true crime podcasts i'm always you know <laughs> listening to mm -hmm. up stories about my favorite i don't want to say my favorite because saying favorite and serial killers isn't a uh <laughs> it's not a good look yeah. but there's sure. there's a real there interesting good, story in yeah. there and what's really yeah. funny you know, during this whole COVID thing, it seems to me like all these networks are putting on more and more CSI and criminal minds and true investigative tales of, of uh, you know, 
basically based on on the the criminal uh, experiences or, or or exploits of serial killers, and uh, it's like you know everyone watches it now because you know mm. why the hell not and and <laughs> the Donnie Wahlberg's doing like America's scariest people or something oh, and, wow, okay. and, and like do it you know and HBO was wall to wall serial killer documentaries. I mean mm. it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird. They're almost heroes now. It's different. It's crazy. It's like yeah, yeah. and I, that's bad. I condemn it. Yeah. You know, obviously, mm -hmm. but the stories that these people have of it's how they were caught, they're interesting. Yeah, why they did what they did. There's there's some interesting stuff there. There is, no, there really is. There really is. And hey, I, uh, John, I just you know, there's one question. I, I remember the first article I ever uh, read that you did. I think it was when you were uh, was for MTV News. It was back in the early 2000s, probably about God, like 20 years ago. I think it was. It was when. Um, uh, when Chuck Sheldon from Death was sick, and I know there was like uh, some sort mm -hmm. of fundraiser thing that was going on, and yeah. um, and the guy, and the funny is the guy who I found out who ran it was a guy who's the reason I'm asking because he's been in, in the news lately. Uh, Tom Hazart was the guy that, that I guess was running that, and it was it just seemed really a, a very shady situation. Was there ever any follow up on on that whole uh, thing that would happen with that? Do you know at all? With what happened with the money and what happened? Yeah, with the, yeah. Uh, you know, I I never did. Uh, a follow-up on it. I, okay. I know that, uh, you know, poor Chuck Sheldon and his family, man. It's yeah. just been a brutal, at, le at least the dudes who played in the band with him, a lot of people like Gene Hoagland and uh, uh, the guy from Cynic, Paul, Paul Masvidal, was it him? Masvidal, I think yeah. he was in that band. Uh, they did the, the Death for All tribute uh, um, tour and gave all that money to uh, uh, Chuck's family and God, they're still they're probably still paying those medical bills. Probably, that was yeah. such that was just such a tragedy and a bummer. And it, it happened when no one cared about metal, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had to beg to write the story. It was like I'm like, okay. I understand how important this guy was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was when everything looked like it was, you know, done for the purest of motives. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, to learn that uh, uh, money was mishandled, you know, as as happened with We Are the World or whatever. It's always a tragedy. You know, people yeah. just suck. Yeah, pretty most part. I know they really do, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, okay, well, I guess we'll start writing it down. Bob, do you got anything else uh, you want to talk no, about? No, man, just go go ahead and uh, you know give out. Uh, I, I know your podcast is available everywhere. It launched uh, what a couple of weeks ago, the fourteenth. So you're on your third, fourth episode. Uh, let me yeah, know yeah. how to get a hold of it, and uh, as well as some of your books. I know you did Louder Than Hell, like you mentioned, yep. with, with Catherine Turman and a few, the Scott Ian book. Uh, go ahead and give some plugs out before we end this. Sure, sure. Well, I think one that got a little bit uh, overlooked because it hit right before the whole kind of COVID disaster. And I'm sorry about my the tribal drums in the background. My phone's ringing. Oh, um, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, uh, uh, Raising Hell Backstage Tales from the Lives of Metal Legends is a uh, – it's a really fun read, and uh, my my agent called it a a bathroom book. He's like, I mean that in the best way, but like you know, you leave it in the shitter, and you just flip to a page randomly, and you can read right. some crazy ass story about someone and something that happened. Right. And uh, what was cool about doing that book is I already kind of knew who had great stories to tell about you know falling off stage or getting in gang fights or you know being in these ridiculous Pantera style drinking uh, and, and destruction um, escapades uh, or, or who had heroin stories, who had alcohol stories, with puke stories. So I, I reached out 
and cherry picked people who I knew would give me great quotes. And then there's some fucking maniacs, um, like King King. Do you know King Fowley? Kim oh, Fowley? yeah, yeah. Sure. Not yeah. Kim Fowley. Kim Fowley or King? You no, said King. King. Is it King? Am I screwing up his name? Kim Fowley was the runaways. With with the runaways. No, King. King. Yeah. There is a guy that goes by the name of King Fowley. It's King uh, Fowley. Okay. No, I, King, King Fowley sure. is a different guy. No, he, he's in a band. Yeah. He, he, he was. Had, he's in a, a thrash metal band from the right, 80s. Exactly. Going yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and God bless him for it. Yeah. But he had this, this insane, really, you know, he gratuitously sexual, messed up, groupie stories that he was so excited to tell. Oh, Kim uh, Fowler, yeah. The, no, yeah. King. King. King, yeah. Oh, King. Okay. The, but now I'm, I'm, I'm almost uh, <laughs> I'm having a brain fart because I'm wondering if I have his last name right um, from the band. Uh, uh, now I'm fucking up. The he name was of the in band. a bunch of bands it's and he's late. a big metal metal. Yeah, he was in, in right. Right, yeah. October October thirty first. Yeah. I think is the name of one is. Kim goes way back to the. Oh, 60s. Kim Fowley's yeah. back in the Runaways and yeah, Lita Ford right. and Joan right. Jett and the exploitation and he's got some insane that stuff. era. I, I, I worked he's on dead. a project. He died, right? He died a few years ago. Yeah, that dude had some insane. Groups. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But you know what's interesting is uh, before he died, Sherry Curry. They became real close. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, which is amazing yeah. considering yeah. you know how much messed up stuff happened when the runaways were yeah. being managed by him and how much of it he could have exploited them so he's yeah. been accused of it for sure mm -hmm. and i don't want to talk talk poorly of the dead but yeah. for someone like carrie curry to make up and you know kind of they, they realized because kim did i mean even though it was it was kind of the school of hard knocks he taught them you know you're chicks you're gonna be you know this uh but uh, you know it, it was it wrong yeah probably but i think she realized that she kind of He's the one that really got the runaways off the ground, and yeah, yeah. So I think she kind of realized that. And when he was sick, you know, which was a pretty amazing story that she kind of nursed him after that. She did. She, thought, she yeah. nursed him through his cancer, and then yeah. stayed with him till his dying day. Yeah. And uh, what what a bunch of interesting, great people: Lita Ford, Joan Jett. It's like oh, yeah. mm -hmm. it's too bad they'll never all get on the same page. Yeah. yeah. I just don't think Lita and uh, and Joan have any. Joan. Yeah. Any love la left for each other, which is no. just too bad. But it's unfortunate, uh, yeah. No, and totally. Sandy's already passed away too. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So well, great. I want to close this out, uh, Matt. All right. Yeah. Well. So uh, yeah. So diversionpodcast.com. That's where everyone can uh, check out the uh, backstage podcast. Correct, John. Just for the listeners. Yep. And we're on uh, iHeart and uh, app. You know, I iTunes and and. Uh, Really anywhere, anywhere you listen to podcasts, it okay. should be available. Okay. Look for the skull with the uh, the guitar headstock through through the back of the head, awesome. red background. So. Yeah, great, man. Well, <laughs> Everyone's I'm, got I'm, skulls. We have yeah, things. It had to be a skull, right? You got it. You got it. I know, right? <laughs> and you see the Iron Maiden like letterhead. When I saw it, I was like, "Wow, uh, they really blew this over the top in the art department." I'm sure they had a really good time with it too. Yeah, <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, we don't get sued by Eddie. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, John, really it appreciate pleasure, it, man. man. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of those, uh, you know, episodes. And good luck with it. And uh, next time you have your next. Uh, series we'll have to have you back on to talk about it again cool thanks so much it's cool. been a blast awesome right all right thanks a lot john have a good one. take care bud you too take care bud bye-bye